Our first uh, scripture reading is from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, uh, Romans chapter 12, very uh, short passage. I'll be reading verses one and two. I invite you to follow along on the screen. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, on this uh, Labor Day uh, weekend, I thought I would share a few fun thoughts with you. If lawyers are disbarred, and clergy are defrocked, doesn't it follow that electricians could be delighted? <laughs> Musicians denoted, cowboys deranged, models deposed. Wouldn't you expect laundry workers to decrease, eventually becoming depressed? and depleted. <laughs> Likewise, bed makers might be debunked, baseball players debased, bulldoze operators degraded, organ donors delivered, <laughs> software engineers detested, and won't all musical writers one day decompose? And finally, and I know you're happy about this, as we head into the 2024 election in a little more than a year, we can only hope that politicians will be devoted. And you can take that a number of different ways. Well, welcome to Labor Day weekend when we think about our work and how we fit into the workplace. Did you know that over 50% of our waking hours each week is spent in work? On average, we spend about 45% on home and family, and less than 5% is here, in this place, engaged in church activities. So doesn't it follow then that of equal or even greater concern to God, more so than what we're doing right now, is what we'll be doing tomorrow or when some return to work on Tuesday. Work is mentioned some 800 times in the Bible. That's more than heaven, more than hell, more than even prayer. But the problem seems to be is that there's this huge disconnect in how our faith impacts our daily lives in the office, in the hospital, the classroom, Monday through Friday. Well, here at Chestnut Level Presbyterian Church, I would like for us to be an attractional church where people just love to come to sit and sing and pray and learn and grow and mature and sip coffee and yes, maybe even listen to sermons. But really, more than attractional for the 21st century, I also want us to be a church that is propulsional, so that when we show up for work, 
we are ready to make a difference for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. In the book of Colossians chapters three and four, the apostle Paul addresses Christians as workers in the marketplace. And so as I close out my red hot sermon topic series, I hope you will join me as I begin reading in Colossians chapter three, I'm gonna begin in verse 22, and then I'm gonna take it into chapter four and read uh, through verse six. I invite you to follow along on the screen. Paul, once again writing says, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord and not for your masters. Since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly. For you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word, that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me once again in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. God, on this Labor Day weekend, it is good for us to rest and take a hiatus from our duties, and yet it is also good to think about our work. All of us have different occupations, but we do have a common calling. We do have a common vocation, and that is as servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we do so in ways that honor you. Open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds, so that we might receive that which we need from you so that we may be more faithful disciples in all that we do and say. And it's through Jesus Christ that we pray these things. Amen. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. So sang and whistled the seven dwarves in the Walt Disney movie classic, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. With joy on their faces and a purpose in their steps, they swung their pickaxes and shovels over their shoulders and they purposefully and dutifully marched off to the mines. Closer to reality is what I saw on the bumper sticker of a car one time which said, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. As we kind of kick things off here for a few minutes, let me ask you a question. Which is it for you? Is the idea of happy workers marching off to begin their day something out of fantasy land? Is work an unnecessary, uh, uh, um, unpleasant necessity for you? Well, this Labor Day Sunday, I would like you to think back over your lives and ask, what propels me to get out of bed 
Monday through Friday? Is it hi-ho, hi-ho, or is it I-O, I-O? Are you someone who sees work as just that, a dirty four-letter word? Or is work a blessing for you? Now, there are some Christians, well-intentioned, I'm sure, who believe that work is actually a curse. It's God's curse on humanity because of the sins of Adam and Eve all the way back in the Garden of Eden. But when we actually go back to Genesis chapter 1 and take a look at it, we see that God is a working God. The Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth and all that was, trees and rivers and rocks and mountains, all things that are living. God said, let us make humankind in our image and likeness, and he will rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. So God is a working person's deity. Jesus himself was a blue-collar worker. In fact, his followers used to get up at the crack of dawn and, and drag those smelly fishing nets through the Sea of Galilee in order to earn their living. There was this one time when the Pharisees got right in Jesus' face and they were criticizing him for, for healing on the Sabbath. And all Jesus said was, hey, look, gang, I've got a job to do. My Father in heaven is working, and I am working too. In 1 Corinthians, we are called God's fellow workers. In Romans 12.1, which was our first scripture reading, Paul says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. God has given us work so that we can be like him, and there are few things that you and I do that are more godly than getting up in the morning and going to work. Our work can be an expression of our worship to God. Next week, you can say, I make this sales call in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or I'm, I'm preparing this HVAC system in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A police officer can say, I write this ticket in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And very often, the person receiving the ticket will also invoke, invoke the name of the Lord as well. <laughs> I feed my children in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I keep this home in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you are able to say that because if you are a homemaker, it really is work, isn't it? I heard about a study in which they priced out the work of the average homemaker according to a union pay scale. And they found that the market value of the work of most homemakers comes to about $75,000 a year. Well, that should make for some animated conversations in the car on the way home from church today. <laughs> Friends, you and I are made in the image of our creator God, and it's only by working do we find our true identity. In fact, when you're at a party, what is one of the first things you ask the person that you meet? Do you ask them, uh, yeah, what color is your dog? You don't do that, who would do that? You ask, what do you do? And if they respond, well, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Well, one of the things I do is I, use, I eat Pop-Tarts for breakfast. You might look at them and wonder if they're wired to code. Because when you ask them what they do, you wanna know what they do for work, what they do for a living. And then you sort of peg them accordingly. And if they say, I'm an engineer, then you can assume that they're 
most likely well-paid, maybe a bit nerdy, and that you probably shouldn't ask them any more questions because you wouldn't know the answers anyway. <laughs> Occupational identity is so central to our culture that, get this, after the age of 25, you are what you do, and before the age of 25, you are what you plan to do which is why unemployed persons so struggle with issues of identity and self-worth. And the unemployment issue is really a spiritual issue which should concern us as Christians. Not too long ago, I was driving through York and I saw these big able-bodied males sitting on car hoods, drinking beer with nothing to do at 11 o'clock in the morning. Friends, that is a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. What's the saying? An idle mind is the devil's workshop. People need to have a job, but it's not, it's not just to put bread on the table. A job is about hope. A job is about self-esteem. A job is about being made in the image of God. And the reason why welfare is so bad is not because it costs so much, but because it is at odds with what it takes to live a happy and satisfied life. Work is a blessing, even when we don't think so. Think for a moment about the worst job you've ever had. We did this exercise a while back with our youth in Sunday school. For me, it was when I got a job my senior year in high school working at the Seville Diner in Westwood, New Jersey, bussing tables. What made it so bad was that I had to work Friday and Saturday nights from 8 p.m. to 4 o'clock in the morning. What kind of people come into diners between 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock in the morning? You don't want to know. <laughs> One night, a lady came in who obviously had had too much to drink somewhere else, and after almost passing out in the booth, she staggered to the restroom where she proceeded to decorate the floor with the contents of her dinner that night. I had to clean that up. That was a really bad job. Maybe, maybe the worst job that I ever heard of was a fellow who had to milk cows in the wintertime. Maybe this happened to some of you. What happened was not only did his hands get numb from the cold, but that cow would flip her tail around and there was frozen manure at the end of that tail and would keep hitting him in the face and it would draw blood. That's a bad job. <laughs> now, when you think about the worst job you've ever had, if you had to choose between that job or no job at all, which would you choose? There's no doubt what the Apostle Paul would say. For example, the people of Thessalonica had opted for unemployment. They had abandoned the daily routines of life and they had chosen instead to sit and wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was having none of it. The scrappy little tent maker who worked his fingers to the bone to support himself in his ministry well, let's just say he took a rather dim view to all this pious nonsense. And so he dashed off a letter to them and said, look, you don't work, that's fine. Then you don't eat. No pain, no grain. My point is this. 
God has called you to your place of work. And it's in that place that we are to serve God. When my alarm clock went off at 6.30 this morning, I think that was God's way of saying, all right, Hartman, time to get up. Time to rise and shine. Time to get over to that church and whip those Presbyterians into shape. <laughs> and so God has called me to serve him in, in this way. And just in case you're wondering, you don't have to be a church professional or even a volunteer at the church to serve God. Through the years, I've had a couple of people come to me and say, you know, I have had it with my life of work. I believe that God is calling me to go to seminary. I don't see any purpose in this secular, godless business world. I want to do something with my life that really matters. I want to serve God as a pastor. And as much as I respect those sentiments, I don't think those people are completely understanding their place in the arena of God's activity. Because almost never in the Bible does God call someone to serve in a religious setting. Can you name me one great Bible hero who was a priest? Now, right away you may think Aaron, who was Moses' brother, but then don't forget he gave in to the people's commands or demands to make a golden calf. But of the truly great heroes of the Bible, Abraham was a cattle rancher and businessman. Joseph was a government prime minister. Caleb and Joshua were spies and then military generals. Nehemiah was like a FEMA administrator who built a devastated city from the ground up. Our world is not separated into the sacred in here and the secular out there. In fact, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, once said, God even milks the cows through you. So in this room right now, watching online, there are business owners, there are farmers, there are computer programmers, there are teachers, there are office workers, there are healthcare professionals, there are salespeople, there are homemakers, students, and retired people. Many, many, many different kinds of work. But our work is to worship and serve Jesus Christ in what we do. Now, one way that we worship God in our work is through excellence. As Christians, we never want to just squeak by on some slapdash piece of make-do mediocrity. My father always loved to say, Johnny, if you're going to do a job, then do it right correctly. Listen once more to Paul's words in Colossians and see if they apply to both the employer and the employee. Paul writes, along with your earthly master, you also have a heavenly master who sees all you do. George Herbert was a 17th century poet. And this is what he wrote. Teach me my God and King in all things thee to see and what I do in anything to do it as for thee. The apostle Paul says, do everything heartily as unto the Lord, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray.
Oh, Creator God, it is indeed uh, Labor Day weekend, and many people have off tomorrow, but Tuesday is still coming. So refresh us for our work. We ask your blessing upon those who feel overworked, underappreciated, and underpaid, and for all who struggle with their work. We ask that you would give to each of us a new heart and a new attitude in our work, that you would change the conditions and climate at work, or if it be your will, that you would give us a new job opportunity. We do pray your blessing upon those who are without work today. We pray that you would open doors and that they would discover that their work truly is worship. We pray for the people here today who are those type A workaholics, driven people. Oh God, make these people your called people who feel your pleasure in the work they do. Give to each of us a sense of excellence as we labor in the vineyard of the king so that if we sweep floors, and that's our job, help us to sweep floors in the way that Mozart wrote music. And whatever it is that we are to do in word and deed, that we would do all, do all those things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, as we pray it in his holy name. Amen.